0: good evening and welcome to laughing monkey music show today we have fish on fish is a huge huge solo career and he's also known for his great work in meridian this has been a great his newest album and your last album right unless things have changed is yeah it's it's beautiful it's it's and the garden of remembrance has been a song that's been in my my mind for a long time now um it's very powerful thank you um the video and uh the tears it's I know you do a little acting too, so you have, <laughs> but that wasn't that was, acting.
1: There was, there was no acting involved in that in that clip. That was all it was a genuine right. emotion, on that that members clip. It was really difficult. It's my mum's got dementia, and um, you know, she's been living with us now for three years, and it was weird because you know when I, I actually sung the song in the studio, and um, and then having to do the video there and and things and be very aware of her presence in the house. It was uh, you know, it was um. It was difficult. The, you know, when the, the tear was shed in that video, it was, it was genuine, you know? Yeah.
0: Was, I uh, could see that. I saw the the making of it and I saw that it was at first. I thought, wow, it acting. Because, but when I watched it, because I have other relatives that were, you know, I was in the home, yeah. and I, see, I started getting choked up a little bit. I could feel it in the back of your throat. Yeah. I was watching it. And then afterwards, when I saw that how you were actually going through the emotions, it, it totally made sense. Yeah. Because I felt that yeah,
1: power. It was, it was a very, very, very difficult song to sing as well. You Know, I think, but you know, as I said, because you know, I'm literally you know, the, the control room where we were recording is literally five meters of where my mum's bed is, you know, two walls, obviously, right? <laughs> Not in the room,
0: she can't sleep.
1: <laughs> so, when the drums are getting played, now she can't sleep at all for that. Huh? <laughs> uh, 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 no, it was great. only, it was the only time, it was the only awkward time. I mean, the, 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 control, the control room, this is where I am at the moment, it's um, um. It's kind of, it's got heavy insulation on it. I mean, it's got heavy sound insulation, right. big doors and things, you know. But uh, but when we and a lot of the instruments were recorded in here. Every now and again, we would put cabs out on a, what is really my living room, right? I mean, because I mean I live in the studio, and I moved in here in two thousand one when it was a it'd been a commercial studio up to nineteen ninety eight. So when I moved in here, it was a complete studio, and I've just been knocking through walls and just turn it in a residential property over all these years since i moved in and uh and it's it's strange that he, like when we do albums well, i mean i've done every album solo album here since the vigil in the wilderness of mirrors album that's I've awesome solo, yeah and it's, over the years it's, it's it's a case of moving the furniture it's like you bring the drum you move the dining room table and you put the, the drum kit in you know <laughs> the drums were the only thing that you you know they're obviously really loud so my mum actually, <clears throat> we 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 got it all arranged, so my mum went into respite care down at my sister's for, for a couple of weeks when we got the drums, <laughs> in, drums done. So. But it's, great, it's, a, it's a weird place to live because it's like you're very aware that, you know, when you're walking around, there's, there's scores of metres of copper wire underneath the studio that's probably worth a fortune now, you know?
0: It, it gives you a little, a little extra energy right those 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 uh, magnetic gloves they sell <laughs> you got you, you got your whole house as a magnetic glove it, It's it's really beautiful I've seen like now the look like you have a lot of skylights and your I love your fish fridays it feels like you have a lot of light in that house or slash studio yeah it's got to be very inspiring I, I'm, I'm totally envious of that i'm not envious of a lot of things in life but skylights uh, that's something to be jealous about
1: it's really strange it's like it's just I, I mean um with a year off, I've got no touring at all this year because uh a mixture of COVID and mm-hmm. Brexit regulations, you know, wow. and and to put on top of that, there's so many bands been hopscotching their tours that um, you know, there's so many tours going out in 2022, and you know, the pizza is only so big, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, even the seven shows that we played last year. Right. Our, those shows would have been sold out in, in normal circumstances. They would have been sold out. Mm-hmm. And we were like 20 percent off off house. And, you know, there's bands out there that are 40 the, percent. The, the People are nervous about going to gigs. Uh, they don't know what the protocols are. Um, you know, they don't want to stand in big crowds and they don't know if the band's going to appear. They don't know if the man's going to catch something and whether they're going to be stuck. I
0: understand. I've 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 bought tickets I haven't used because I'm afraid yeah. because people are not being respectful of other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've actually it's, it's, just it's wasted money. Time. It's a crazy time. I mean, through that insecurity uh, and weariness of people going out to, to large events, through their um, their weariness of buying tickets for events that might not even happen, and like mm-hmm. I said, having that money sitting about, you know, and you know it. it, it with everything, it's it's very difficult for us to, to contemplate touring. I've got a very good friend of mine. He, he blew his entire 2022 tour about a couple of weeks ago, and I phoned him up and I said, "Look, don't feel bad about this, you know." And I said, yeah. um, "You know, I said, you know, I had to make the same decision last year, and it was like, you know, I have to. We can't do this, you know. It's impossible because there is no insurance. We have no insurance for a show that goes down, which means I'm liable for all costs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, on top of that, I mean, he was going to have to pay." He was. He had ten guys going through eight countries in Europe, and crossing every border, you've got to test, right? So, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's like you know, it's like being across, going across a state in, in in the USA, you know. And you've got to pay for testing. It was going to cost them twenty four thousand pounds sterling just in tests for ten what? guys, you know. That's and on insane. top of that, you know, because of Brexit, we've got uh, although we don't have to buy working visas, you still have to get visas. And you have to pay um, uh, uh, basically um, charges for them to, to deal with the visas. It's um, and you know that can that can reach you. I think he costed it out as being another twenty twenty five thousand pounds. So you're looking at a band that's having to come up. We're looking at paying you know fifty thousand pounds out of a tour. You know, and you know they're they they're playing you know a thousand to thousand a night. 1,500, 2,000-some nights, you know? And, you know, taking those sort of costs becomes impossible. So mm-hmm. I elected to... I just went, I don't you know, 2022, it. I'm going to take a step back, go into the garden and let the year go by and look at it 2023 for my farewell tour. You
0: know? That's excellent. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Brexit really got weird. Brexit would have been weird on its own. And I'm yeah. an American. I'm not judging any countries by any means because I'm an American. We have our own hot mess, hot garbage, dumpster fire. But what I'm saying is on an outside... Is in watching the musical struggle of musicians. Yeah, that is 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 what a crazy, unfortunate change that. And also, I think Brexit, and I think I think all countries, I the world should have some better policies for traveling musicians because the taxes that America does for musicians is just ridiculous, and yeah. they're getting you everything. They're already bringing into America <clears throat> economy and, and and money flow. Sort of like double and triple tax them and, and then they sell margin it's, it's it's a nightmare and then now you've got your own version of it you, you escape the American version you could at least make some profit doing Europe yeah but
1: this, yeah, but this isn't a five hour transatlantic flight to land bland the right. JFK. this is an hour and twenty minute flight I know that's ride. what I'm
0: saying you, you know, lost that
1: and I, the thing is it's like at least with the states you know if if I was going to come to the states I go down to the American Embassy in London and I get a working visa you know right. and that allows me to travel in the 50 odd states across in, in, in the USA that we're going to be playing or whatever, or the, the, the eight states will be doing or something, whatever, right? Right. But across here, you know, we've got to apply individually to That's 27 different countries.
0: That's what I'm saying. Right? I mean, you it was easier for you guys just to make some decent money just to go out and tour around you without having to worry about the shenanigans. Now, this is a kick in the shin. This is worse on some yeah, level. But I
1: mean- you know, if, if you want to look at the, the historical situation with Marillion, right? 1983, we put the Fugazi album out and we were just starting to play our first shows in, in Germany for festivals and things, open air events, right? You know, by 1984, right, we'd become, you know, a, a, a minor force and especially in mm-hmm. Germany and Ireland, And that helped us sell the albums. They helped go against the debt that we had to EMI Records for all yeah. the advances, for all the albums we'd made and the tour advances, and without the income from those countries and being able to grow into those countries, Marillion would never survive. and never made it to Mr. Sheldon and wrote Cayley. you know. And you've got to think about all the young bands that are out there now that don't have the ability to tour Europe, especially in in, in small incarnations of that band, the early yeah. incarnations of that band. You know, they're going they're going to get snuffed out because they, you can't keep on touring. You know, the UK, that this island group that that. that I live on, you know. Yeah. There aren't enough yeah. gigs to sustain it on a regular basis to sustain it, and there isn't the, the there aren't the venues these days. You know there isn't the you know we need Europe for bands to grow, mm-hmm. and you know and nobody thought about this. Nobody thought about the detail when everybody was running towards this Brexit vote, And I have to say, I live in Scotland, right? And up here, we voted sixty two percent to remain in Europe, right? And it was the United Kingdom vote that carried the aisles in, right? And, you know, it, it kind of irritates me because uh, I, I believe in, in Scotland, Scottish independence. Right? I believe that we can, we can sustain ourselves and, 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 and exist as an independent country. And, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, only a few years previously to the Brexit vote, you know, there was a referendum here in which it was yes, no, yes to, to go independence, no against, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And the
1: big, the big argument then that was presented to us was, you know, if you leave the UK, you're going to be out of the EU. And it, it made up a lot of people's minds that they didn't want to be separated from every major kind of, like, you know, landmass, economically speaking. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people voted no. And then yet, yet two, three years later, we're in a situation in the country that I live in, right, in Scotland, where you know we voted to remain in the EU and got taken out of it against against the wishes of the majority, and it's very tough to deal with. And as a musician, you know it, it's incredibly hard. My wife is German. I have to apply, and she's applied for pre-settled status, which she has, and she has to apply for settled status in on in the UK. You know, and um, really? yeah, and it's uh it's there's a lot of things going on going on. I mean, you know, I mean, as I, I survived COVID. Right, I survived the lockdown despite having zero gigs. I mean, it's the least gigs I've done in forty years, right? And I mean, I was wiped. I we did one show in Aberdeen, and it was called, right? And luckily, I had the Vegemite album that came out in October uh, uh, twenty, <laughs> and um, and the mail order in that sustained me. It kept me going, and we did various things. We put out recordings of the very first show, support the band and the crew as much as we could, and um. And then, But when it moved, in, uh, the, when Brexit happened, not only did it change all my touring, right, but also my mail order completely changed because I became in a situation with Europe where I, I'd say probably 40% of my sales, 50% of my sales are in Europe, right? And then suddenly they were having to pay taxes on their side and to, to, to put it in a nutshell, they were paying uh, £1.50, about another $3 or whatever it was, more for, for an album. You know, because of uh, again costs on uh, doing the, the the paperwork on the VAT that they were on the paper sale. So I, I, as for the music industry as a whole, for independents like myself that are operating now with the major reliant on mail orders, we took a kick on that. And you know, with Spotify and streaming, our publishing incomes have all gone down. Right. So the only place you can make money now, and I, I don't want this to come across as I'm owning many kind of like you know. But the only place we can really make money now is live. Yeah. And the live, the live arena has been up with COVID. So, I mean, for the creative industries, I mean, from film to theatre to, the, to the music industry, from, from band members to crew members to truck divers, to, you know, merchandisers. I mean, it's been such a kick, you know, to say this. And I'm very aware that American bands are suffering exactly the same with what, what you've got to deal. Yeah. even you know, as far as vaccinations and everything else goes, I mean, I am, I am boosted. I am vaccinated. And I was very glad to be boosted. You know, it made me feel a lot more secure when I went on a tour where, you know, yeah. we were we were going out and it was one of the most, le- it was one of the least enjoyable tours I ever did. I mean, we were on a nightliner, we got off the nightliner in the afternoon, we went in the backstage area, there was no guests allowed, you didn't see any friends, you couldn't go to pubs, you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't go out, you sat in a backstage area, you did the gig and you had great fun on stage for two hours and then you got showered and went back to the nightliner again, repeat, you know. And um, so I mean, it's changed. I mean, the whole live music industry is completely changed, and I, I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, talking to German business acquaintances, I have, and, and music business acquaintances, I mean, agents. You know, they're saying they don't expect Europe to get back to normal until the summer. And I mean, you know, even now we've got massive tours going out, and the, the regulations on crowd sizes they change from country to country. Regulations and testing change. Nobody's very sure. Travel. Mm-hmm. There's so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, Veldschmerz, we spent a long time and get the sonic values, the production and everything right. And, you know, <clears throat> people listen to it on an MP3 player where it's compressed to hell. It's like, well, what's mm-hmm. the point? You know? <clears throat> I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, when I bought my 1st iFi, Hi-Fi, I mean, you know, I was always looking to to, to better... hardware that i was listening to the music on so i could hear the music better and you know it seems to be in reverse now (laughs) it's come from an old school i mean you know i I bought albums i mean yeah i listen to singles and i listen to radio and all the rest of it but you know i wanted to buy the albums of the artist you know i wasn't you know interested in hearing roundabout i wanted to hear fragile but yes you know and um and i was always brought up on albums and i think you know an album it encapsulates a period in time a, a lot better than as a, than than just one track does, and I think you know that's the problem. We, we we've kind of evolved into this thing where we listen to track by track rather than listen to the artist over a period of twenty minutes on a side of a vinyl or sixty minutes on a CD. You know, I like to hear the, the the expression of the artist within an album rather than just songs. And like I said, I mean, I've always been brought up on albums. I mean. You know, when Marillion and I put together Misplaced Childhood, you know, we weren't, we didn't settle on Kaylee as a single, you know, when we were writing it. It was like, you know, we were right at the side of an album and we just happened to have an absolute diamond in the middle of one side of an album that could be basically extricated and shown on its own, you know, right. and guided a lot of people to that album, you know. But, um, you know, I, I write albums. I mean, when I approached Velt you know, we were going to write a slab of music you know, that, that grew as as, the, as, as the, the writing schedule elongated. And it was like, okay, let's put a double CD on this, you know. But, you know, I, I wasn't going to write tracks. I was going to write a,
0: an, an album. Because these are full albums, and these are back in the in the 70s and, and in the 80s where you can bands were nurtured at least. That was one thing record labels did early on. Some of them actually nurtured you, a couple albums. Nowadays, if you had a bad album now, the track, you're gone. You could build on it. You could have solid albums. The songs were put together. You've worked an album. And that's why I have a, a huge stack of these, you know, yes albums and toll albums and, and you know some early albums and some you saw this solo stuff. But there came a point where like there weren't a lot of full complete albums coming coming back now. Like more modern albums aren't even worth buying a full vinyl because it's like they weren't making vinyl as well. They weren't. There's a resurgence, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, everything kind of toppled in the vinyl world because no one was making good albums anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I think there are still people making great albums. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to them. I just one thing I don't do. I mean. I don't really listen to new music. I don't sit there here with the radio. The only time I put the radio on is when I'm in, the, in my car, right? And uh, you know, if I'm in the house, if the wife and I decide to listen to music, we'll be inspired to listen to music because of something, and we will put on albums.
0: You know? Yeah.
1: And um, it's uh, if we're if we're having a drinks party, <laughs> <laughs> then then there are those times when you know I was absolutely I'll, I'll be I'll turn into DJ with a wine. <laughs> <laughs> But um, that's scab- what I'm saying. I mean, I, and then I, the, next, the next day you've got you know that you've got that mountain of of, of plastic liner trying to work out which CD goes in which which, which album cover. Yeah. The next morning, kind mean, to clean them up. I listen to albums, you know, and like you know, and but I prefer Netflix these days, you know. But I mean, you know, the, the, I've just become I, I've iso- I've become isolated because I don't I don't need to listen to other music. I don't need to. Uh, you know, well, up until, you know, like I said, Velschmerz is my final album. But I never felt during Velschmerz, uh, you know, I needed to listen to modern music to find out what, where my production was going to go. You know, I knew you know, where my production was going to go. You don't
0: need to. I mean, you're so modern. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. That's the thing. And it's one thing that's kind of sad, <clears throat> you know, speaking to you about that being your last album, because there's only a few artists like you that are still creating stuff that are like all your albums have. You know, was it was Mark, uh, the artist, and there's the artwork. And like with vinyl and an album, the great part of an album is you can open it. And there's all kinds of packaging. There's art. Just yeah. create, there's a whole process. It's not just a couple songs and out of five or ten, a couple are going to be singles to make the cash. An album used to be a series of songs that kind of worked together with some kind of continuity, whether it's a theme or just fun. Mm. The, the artwork worked together. There was lyrics. There was pictures of the band on the bus, or there was a, a theme or a mascot, you put it down. It was an event. Your friends came over. You did something. Yeah, and the other thing is, I mean, it's a
1: bit like reading a novel. It's like you know, you know, I want to read a novel. I don't want to read a read the digest version of it. Exactly. You know, and I don't want uh, to to basically be told or oh, read read these pages because they're great, right? These are the these have got powerful images or whatever on them, or it's a great piece of you know prose here or whatever, right? You know, I want to read the whole goddamn novel. You know, and that's the way I approach albums. You know, like you know. Virtue works as a double CD, you know. A tri- it could be even a triple vinyl if it were one more track. I think it was. But I mean, it works because all the songs revolve around a certain theme. In a way, they've got a feel that uh, that basically overlaps within when the album. There's a sense of timing within the Virtue album. You know, they all and you don't get that listening to Alex no. track by track. You know. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's, it's horses for courses, you know what I mean? Well, just I know,
0: but, but, but the point was, like, when I heard this, oh, this is going to be your last album, I'm like, I'm happy for you because, you know, you're not, you don't work for anybody or yourself. You're an artist. But as a listener and a long-time fan, it's it's sad because it's like... No, it's not. It's not because
1: I don't want to end up being one of these prog artists. No,
0: no, I don't fan-based. want to. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm saying, saying, I just, just love... It's got
1: a fan, it's got a fan base. I've got, oh, wait a minute. It's like, it, it's December. We better get the plastic ready to sell. You know, and I've, got, I've got a certain amount of integrity, you know, that I, I didn't want to become a kind of uh, a parody of myself. And it's, it's just, it, I got to the point where a lot of the great melodies have gone, you know, and, and you know, a lot of the, the great hook lines have gone. And, you know, every time you, you're writing now, you feel like you're trespassing on somebody else, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I got tired of avoiding the minefields and, and I didn't want to, uh, start um echoing myself or i didn't want to be copying myself or going back and pillaging old ideas and redoing them i didn't want to do that no right. and, I, and, and i didn't and it was like when i left marillion you know i knew that Cl- clutching was was the last album that i was going to do with that band it was like you know unless it was something major unless we had a major break from each other such know, a good album yes yeah, it's, it's my favorite album and i this is one of my problems that i left marillion after what i considered was the finest album i made with them, and everybody goes well what would happen next and that is exactly how i wanted to leave my solo career with a great album rather than something that was you know a, a piffle and a couple of wee bits in it i wanted to put a solid piece of work together and go that's it right and then people can go well what would you have done next and i right. wanted to leave it on high benchmarks you know i get and
0: that well i think what i'm saying is like I'm happy, sad, because here's why. I'm not saying it's bad that you're doing it. Like, you know when you watch a good, like you binge, you watch, say you watch like a Netflix or some show, right? You're watching a great series and it it ends and you're like, oh, it needed to end because it was so good and I wish there was more, but it's over and I understand why, because you wouldn't want to retread it. That's what I'm saying with you. You're ending on a high note and I'm still wanting it, but you're ending on a high note and I get that and I respect it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you're beating it down. That's why it's happy, sad. It's not... I'll take it,
1: I'll, I'll go somewhere else and it's like, you know, I mean you know, as, as far as performance goes, yeah I want to do one farewell tour in 2023 I would love it to come to the United States of America you know, just to just I want <sighs> I'd to, love you to like, be here Well, I just want to be fun, it's like, you know, I mean this was it. I mean the last tour I went out in 2018, the big one you know, I had terrible problems with my, my, my back and my, my, my knees and things, and you know when the kids were going on a day off, going, let's go up the old ten and like go to a bar, and I'm going Wait a minute. There's half a mile of cobbles. I'm going to go to a bar. I know where the old town is. I've been there like five times before. And then I'm going to have a couple of beers and then I'm going to walk all the way back again. And it's going to be extra <laughs> ibuprofen in the morning, right? Right. And I went. You know what? I'm going to stay in. A, I'm going to stay in a hotel room. Find a restaurant nearby. It's Netflix and white wine. And that's what I did for for over two months. And uh, you know, and it was like at the end of the day, I went. You know, you know, I love being on stage, but all the faff and path that goes around it, I was sick of. it. And there's a lot, a lot of artists feel that way nowadays, you know, and, and I'm destined to be on a nightliner for the rest of my life. You know, I'm not going to be playing stadiums. And there's a reality check and it's got, wait a minute, don't want to be away from home for that long. And yeah, we made money, but, you know, and it's like, I've got, I've got a life to live. And and that was where I went, you know, 2023 completely different attack approach. You know, I want to go out where rather than trying to put everything in, in my career into one set, go to a venue that I really want to play, that I've always loved playing in the past, do two nights, Right. We drive there, stay in hotels so I can meet friends, do two gigs that are a lot of fun, play Mm -hmm. a lot of songs to people, and then go, bam, that's it, bye. And just choose the places you want to play. And I'd like to come across and bring that to the States as well. You know? I mean, just to have fun, and that's one of the problems that I think on the the 2008 tour, apart from the shows, the fun was going out of it, all the associated stuff that went on with it. And I'm not talking about going wild and crazy. I'm just talking about, you know, I was very much focused on. I have got to get through this day and hit a show. And you know, when I'm standing at the bottom of a bunch of steps leading up to the stage, you know, like at Amsterdam Paradiso, it's like Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. I mean, it's a it's it's a story and a half, right? Right. And you know, you're looking at these steps, and you're going like, Jesus. Well, if it comes to an encore, I'm not coming down these stairs. I'll stay up at the top, even if they, can, you know. And it was when it was gets like that, and it's like whoa, and you're focused on it. It becomes. It's, it's i think
0: touring is harder and i couldn't I, like i said I couldn't. Imagine, we were talking i was shoveling and like i'm like i'm only in my 50s and i'm like you're, you're, you're beat i couldn't imagine being on the road every night performing at my best yeah. it's a challenge and i respect that and as i'm saying i'm glad for you to be able to retire and step away yeah. from it yeah. and you're leaving at a high you point the, you're leaving everybody wanting more it's the perfect thing yeah
1: i mean so, but you know i'm going to do other things people go oh, well that's you retiring it's like as if i'm not going to do anything i want to write books you know, you? I am a, I am a writer who can sing. I'm not a singer who can write. You know, I'm not the singer in the band. Goes, oh, I'll do the lyrics then. It was like I approached the music. When I went into music, I was a lyricist, right? And I happened to be able to sing. I that like that word,
0: I, lyricist, yeah. over poetry, because I think poetry is I'm not a narrow. Poet, I'm a I, I know that I don't. Th- I don't think you are. I was going to ask you if you thought you were, because people call you a poet. And I don't think you as a poet. You are. I'm
1: a prose writer. You're, yeah, anything, yeah,
0: though. you're like a lyricist of what's around you as opposed to yeah. writing like haikus and, you know, Hallmark Cardi stuff. That's what I think poetry is. And, you know, you're not there's, that. There's
1: a, there's, a, there's a lot of editing. I'm definitely not haiku. But I mean, you know, one of the things that, that got me out of everything and, and, and kind of, uh, one of the things that really got me out of everything was, was writing stuff in, on, on Facebook and Twitter in the early days, where the characters were limited and you had to really watch what you're writing. And that really kind of taught me a lot. But, I mean, I, I do self-edit. And sometimes, you know, that can become a little bit uh, restrictive. And I, I just want to open myself up and I want to write books. And, you know, there's an autobiography that's definitely in there, which is not going to be kind of your standard autobiography because, I mean, I bounce around things. I mean, I won't be writing, writing a book about, you know, my life with Marillion. I mean, that is the last thing I want to do, you know. I mean, Marillion was a very important thing in my life, but it wasn't my life. You know, I was only in Marillion for, what was it, seven years or whatever it was. And you know, I've been on the on the planet for 64 this year,
0: and a lot has happened around me. Well, you and know? I gotta say, when we when we talked about before, To me, when I want to speak with you, you know, like some point, it's always like Merlin, and that's what I'm saying. That's the similarity with with Ian uh, you know, Anderson. It's always like Jethro Tull at a certain time period. Like, you're an artist. You've done like three times the amount of work solo than those couple great albums. I mean, you lived an entire life. Yeah. And it's very unfair for somebody to pigeonhole you as that little piece. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm always frustrated seeing artists who are like if I'm a fan of Fish. I'm a fan of Fish in those four great albums, you know, Jester and Fugazi and you know, Clutching Straws. And then I'm, you know, and then we start going through other stuff. And you're doing your own original stuff. and you're doing covers of fans you like. And then you're doing more original stuff. And you're doing live performances, DVDs, and your books have like you have, you have artwork and books with them, you know, and hundreds of pages. And it's it's a whole thing where it's not yeah. just
1: you're more that's than just it, that one cool. band. It's always been my approach. I always look at you know, the whole Marillion really thing. People look at it as being it's two different people. It's the same guy. I just had four different... I was working with four different musicians. Right. You know? And I think Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirror stands out really well against anything that I did previous to that. But, I mean, the problem is when I went independent, you know, and, you know, I signed a Polydor. I went through, you know, two albums of Polydor. One was the cover version album, Songs for the Mirror. And, you know, and, I, and then I started to write myself within... The independent framework, and you know the problem was that I didn't have a major record company behind me. I didn't have global distribution. I didn't have global promotion and and you know uh, um, you know PR behind me. And you know I've, I wrote some great songs in there. And you know don't get me wrong. I mean Belch West came out and we did very well with Belshazzar's. Mm-hmm. I don't sell. I don't sell on Amazon, right? I don't sell anywhere apart from from through Fishmusic And
0: that's it. I don't do retail. I don't do anything. I do it all here, right? But a lot of artists
1: really good living off
0: it. I imagine you probably get better profits. And I've heard a lot of artists say, "I do my stuff solo or on my own, and I can sell you know a tenth of what I used to do." But I have my hands in it. I make more money. I hear more bands nowadays that were huge platinum bands. They'll say, "I make more money now, just because I'm doing it myself," which is really that punk DIY attitude. Where
1: that's it. You you make more. we do. I, I don't have an expensive lifestyle I've got I've got season tickets from a local football club Hibernian in, in Edinburgh right that my wife and I have right that's a major expense in year which is about which is about I think it's it was 600, 700 quid for this season which I've not seen at all yet I haven't seen a game yet I watch it on TV I will but you know but I support my local club you know I've got a Skoda and in in, in, a Skoda and a Mini in the drive you know that's what I drive you know it's not I don't, you know, have a Volvo or anything. And it's like our biggest expense is the garden, right? And that's it. That's our lifestyle. And I'm really happy with it. We don't go to nightclubs. We don't go to fancy restaurants. We don't have, have chateaux in France or, or places on an island in the Caribbean. It's a really simple lifestyle. And I love it. And it's great. And I like simple. And that's why having the, the kind of the independent records set up we have through Chocolate Frog, where it's just basically my wife and I, you know, we can keep ourselves alive and it's easy. It's yeah. Really easy. A and lot of artists artists do that. I
0: don't Whatever.
1: have to I'm not in a band, right? So I'm not having to deal with committees and I don't have management because I self-manage. And um, you know, and we make a, a a decent living here, you know. And I love my garden and I love being at home and, we, and all of... that. And life has gotta be fun, you know. And as I said, you know, being away from this place, you know, where my from where my wife is and, and, and i won't you know. It's been away from that. It's not my
0: idea of fun. It's, I don't like it, you know. You're like a to... garden guy. Like, yeah, yeah, I love gardens. So, so this is really great because, like, and I had to put it aside so I didn't forget. Um, you're one of your first singles when you were Meridian, I, I don't really delve into Meridian because whatever. That's okay. It was, yeah, it was that's Garden cool. Party. I know, I know, what I'm saying, but I think there's more to you. I think people focus too much on something on one subject no. when there's so much garden, more to you.
1: Garden Party was social commentary. I was, um, that was social commentary from great Right, but
0: my point is, but the, the garden, and you've done, even before you were uh, a musician, which is great how you started so much later, you've always had, you've done gardening and forestry, and then even your last, one of your last singles, Garden of Remembrance, where a garden is a symbol of growth, and there's so many things, it almost feels like it's such a tie-in to a lot of the stuff you do, the growth yeah, and the creativity, I mean, and it's, the gardens and flowers
1: and on, on Beltsmerts came to be because my father died in two thousand sixteen, right? And I knew he was going and stuff, and i would kind of mentally prepared for his leaving, and I thought that. Let me say, I went to see a i went to see a counsellor for the first time way back in about two thousand and ten, uh, and I went in. And I just all I could say it was it was like I I, I vomited my entire life over her for 40 minutes, right? And there was a couple of moments where she was emotionally very moved, and um and at the end of it she said, What you've done is she said you've dealt with everything intellectually, but you've not dealt with it emotionally, right? <laughs> and that's always me. I I I I tend to, to think things through. And I'd thought my father's death through, and I thought I dealt with it, and I hadn't. And I, I, I basically, I mean, I went, I found myself in the garden more and more, and basically the year disappeared. And that was where I was healing. I was healing out in the garden, growing stuff, and uh, nurturing stuff, and um, just losing myself. And that's, and it, it was always, it, was, it still is a very important place for me to go, you know, when, you know, I feel overwhelmed. Um, I mean, I learned a lot of things uh, about myself during the Velstadt album. I mean, during my research, and I do a lot of research on lyrics because I want to make sure that I'm getting things right, you know. And I've, I've got, I'm, I'm getting the pool of knowledge that I need to kind of find something. And during walking on an eggshells, I was because it was prompted by people that I knew, whatever. I started to read a lot of books about ADHD, autism. Um, and all the rest, of it. and I actually recognised that I was definitely on the spectrum, and I can't do numbers, right? Mm-hmm. I am rubbish with numbers, right? And mm-hmm. words—that's where I go. And you know, I talk loudly, and, and when I'm in, when I'm arguing, which upsets people, you know, I tend to be very forceful in my arguments because it's like I've prepared everything before I go into it, and I find it difficult to process. The argument that's coming back at me sometimes depending on what my state of mind is for a kick off <laughs> but um but yeah and it's, it's something i found out about myself and it was it was kind of quite strange and 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 the garden was all part of that it's, it's, it's somewhere where i feel safe it's somewhere you know where i go out i can i'm just part of life i'm not fish and i'm not dealing with the crap and it's, it's something that you know i mean the garden that surrounds me you know most of it was designed um in my head and uh, really the period around about 2001 to 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 three when you know I was basically my wife left me I'd taken my daughter who she took to Berlin and I was left with 900,000 pounds worth of debt right (laughs) and I had to find get my way out of it and I moved into the studio sold my house did deals da 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 rectified the, the right of the ship Kept in touch with my daughter. Never saw for longer than six, six weeks. Uh, I was never away from her for longer yeah. than six weeks. And um, and when I went to bed at night, when my head was tumbling and and twisting and, and and writhing, I designed a garden, and that's what I did. I basically in my head I put the whole thing together, stone by stone, place by place. You know, and that's really, that's kept, fantastic. Kept, that's really
0: uh, interesting.
1: I kept my shit together. And I went out, and I used to go out and, I, 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 and develop in the garden. It just made me feel good. And it felt like I was kind of creating something, that I was contributing something, that was like, you know, and it it's always stayed with me, and I, I love the garden. And my wife, my wife is, I mean, the reason, my wife's German, and we, we weren't sure whether we would live in Germany, which I love. I love the country of Germany, and I love the area where my wife was living, down in Karlsruhe, in Baden-Baden, Baden-Württemberg. And um. We didn't know whether we were going to live here or, or in East Lothian in Scotland, which is to the south of Edinburgh, in a little pocket like the Shire, or whether we lived in, in Karlsruhe. And we, we did the Winston Churchill bit and got a bit of paper out, wrote all the pros and cons and done it. And we moved here, and my wife loved it here, because what we wanted to do is if we could have duplicated this place in Germany, we would have done it, but we okay. couldn't do it. And, we've, and my wife and I, basically, we'd do the garden together. That's where, you know, and that's part of Gardener Remembers.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Also, on a side note, it sounds way cool that you live in a shire than I live in, like, in a town or a district. I just want to say you get points know, for living in a shire.
1: I've got, I've got, we, call it sh- we call it the shire because of the whole bit, you know? I know, the, I know, the, I know. Uh, but, the fact uh,
0: it, but it's more realistic than me being like, yeah, I live in, like, a street in a town and I got, I got a, a wetland across the street from me or something. It's not as it's fancy. A, it's, a, it's a county and I know you've got Emily. I know. But, you
1: know we we living in a big shire there. It's really warm. It's a great agricultural place. But, you know, as, as happens with really nice places, that are warm and people want to live here. It's like we've got an influx of building and you oh, know, yeah. just destroying the county. But that's another what I thing. What I want to do them. is, like, as I said, this is the control room. This is where the music was made for years. And like, I'm in the process of this is going to evolve. And I want to turn this into a, a writing area and kind of like mini library and stuff and just a place where I can come and I can feel comfortable writing. We're blowing up the Veluxes. And that's a really interesting thing because it was like... Where I was when I was a kid, you know, a lot of my early, early years, formative years, was where we lived in Dalkeith in Midlothian. When my mum and, originally my my grandmother and grandfather had a a full house, a a big house, a two story house, and they gave the top flat to my mum and dad. And my mum and dad moved in there and I was born and my sister was born three years later. And we didn't have the space. My granddad moved in to care with us and stuff. My other grand, my maternal granddad. And um, and as kids, we got moved up into the attic, right? And there was two big rooms up there. And all I had out to look out of that window was a skylight, right? And it was a big, heavy cast iron skylight with really heavy glass in it. And when I was a kid, it was really difficult to lift up the single bar and push it up. And that was my life. And I was in there when I was two, three-year-old, right? And there was no fire escape. There was nothing. And I, mean, I look back in it now. And it's oh my a, God, you know, it sounds like a death trap. Yeah. <laughs> if something had happened, so my sister and I would have been goners and all you could go down was go down this hatch and throw a, down a ladder to get down to the bottom, right? It was a, it was a stainless steel, you know. It sounds like a rack.
0: submarine. It sounds like you were living but in a submarine. What,
1: but it's really interesting because that was, that was where I listened to music. That was where a lot of things happened in my life for the first time. A lot of a lot of thinking happened up there in that attic right and i was always aware of this one skylight and it was interesting because every single house that i've ever lived in right since then my first house that i bought in 84 even though it was a wee terrace house right it had a really big room right and every house has always had a really big room and i've always been knocking out windows and stuff like that right and i think it's a it's, it's a um it's a psychological thing. It's a throwback. And the place I live in now, the studio, I'm sitting here and I've got two Veluxes above my desk, right? Yeah. At the moment, they're hidden by glass. But when we open up this roof, I'm putting Veluxes in. Through in the room that you watch Fish and Friday in, there's about seven or eight Veluxes across the two roof spaces, right? Oh. And this big doors going out. And I think this is this thing I, I like. I feel comfortable in, in a, a big room. And if you actually put me to what I'm now 1.9 metres, to where i was as a kid probably relatively speaking the room that i was in as a boy was an attic it's probably proportionally the same size as the place i live in now and it's been interesting because i think there was a fear came into me a subconscious fear came into me having that only skylight that being the only exit and the only place out and if you look on it right it's um if you want to take that further look at the, the first uh look at the first three marillion sleeves they've all got windows on them
0: yeah I was—I was going to say that I didn't want to—I didn't want to read into it too much, as it is you're already like an you are like an unmagical Harry Potter as it was with the beginning of the story.
1: Yeah, but that—that's that, what I'm saying is that gives you an idea of kind of where my autobiography shapes going. who
0: you are. Yeah, yeah, and it's like
1: all those things and all these things that come through with the jester and stuff like that and going out the window. And did
0: you get that but... when you were doing it? Though, did you get that and a? No,
1: no, no, that's something you realize. It's just it just comes through. It, you know, as I said, I was I actually started writing. Uh, uh, the, the 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 first bones on autobiography way back in 2010, it was derailed because of a, 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 an explosive um, situation, personal situation, here, right. But I mean, when I started writing it, I started to write about the big room. And then it was like, when I started to think about it, and then I became, then I, there's a lot of things start to make sense, you know. And I think that's the kind of way, as I said, that where my autobiography goes, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that are very real, relative to, they've got roots in my past. And I've had mm-hmm. identify those roots and things, you know? And that's kind of where I want to write. I mean, you know, there's, there's writing the autobiography, which is a memoir, which is it's something, it's, it's gonna become a, not just a kind of route through my life, you know? Joined the band, left the band, did this, blah, blah, I met so-and-so, it's not one of them. And in the same way, it's like, there's a couple of, because I, I love movies, and I always have loved movies, um, that, you know, I'd I'd love to get the script right. I mean, I've done some acting, but I'm I'm no actor, and uh and you know my action any action rules are not going to happen nowadays without well, not with my knees. So you know, it's, this, special effects, special effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's script writing. I mean, I've got a couple of ideas for scripts. There's there's, there's been ideas for novels that have been kicking around in my head on the back of tour buses, and I am blessed with. A really good memory, and I want to make sure I use that memory before God forbid something goes wrong with it in the next five years. You know? Have you written long pieces like that though? Have you Have you started to write? I've written. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the sleeve notes for all the remasters are all. I mean, I think the last. Oh, one right, right, ten thousand words, and that to me is like going down the gym. I mean, that, that all is and, and Fish and Friday when I do Fish and Friday, that's
0: just mental exercise for me. And it's I, that is amazing. You You can go on about something in in a good way, not like. Not like at the crazy guy at the end of the bar going on about something. You stay on topic. You really, it's hard to say a deep dive with fish because that just feels like the world's biggest easy pun. But
1: um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's what it is. It, 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 it's, it's, it's mental exercise because, I mean, apart from, a cut, there's nothing scripted. There's nothing written down. There are notes taken about salient points that I've got to reach. Right, or, right. But you know, okay, what about this? I'll talk about it, but a lot of it spurred on by, you know, I might have a spasm of imagination, you know, during one of the broadcasts. And I'll go, oh, yeah, that. And I'll just launch on that. And, and it's good for me because it keeps my memory agile. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me during lockdown, I mean, I know it helped a lot of people just, you know, people that were on their own in solitary situations. And, you know, they, they welcomed the Fishing Friday broadcast. I've and, enjoyed it myself.
0: Uh, I've seen a bunch of them. I enjoy them. They're, it's brain food.
1: You know? Yeah, well, in the same way, for me, it gave me an opportunity for two hours a week to entertain. You know, and you know, yeah, you know, when I go on a tour, you know, the first two three gigs, I'm always a bit uptight and not really sure. You know, I've got a couple of chosen lines, but it's not until I get into the tour that I'm I and I can take things and you know jump mm-hmm. off and things and and you know do do jumps of the imagination. And Fishing Friday kept me sane during lockdown. Just to be able to project, you know, even though it was done on an iPhone screen. And it was, then a, and it kept me sane as much as I think it kept a lot of other people sane. I think
0: there's two two good things with that. A, I think it's good for the fans, or, you know, because you're, you're very connected with the fans, which is a very important thing to do. And, and the second thing is on you, there's, I think there's a point between talking about nothing, which is like almost like junk food talk, like a jibber jabber. Or giving like a meal when you talk, about something brain food, and you can actually talk about something for two hours or whatever on topic. Where uh-huh. you're like, you walk away thinking like, that was great, and you're thinking about things. I was supposed to listen like somebody like a, I was supposed to like listen to like a, a radio show, like a, a daily disc jockey. You're like, well, I don't know, even to listen to for two hours. Like it was, just, I don't listen to radio because of yeah. that. But like I'll listen to you and other, you know, some of their like podcast style webcast video. I, I hate saying podcast because it's not really a podcast. If it's on YouTube, it's like a video cast. It's like saying yeah. film and video. But you know what I'm saying? There's there's different media sources where you can get good stuff, and you were one of the sources I've been listening to during. Yeah, and I, I didn't and I didn't want to charge for it. I mean, it was you know,
1: I mean, the idea came up. It was Rob Scalin who does my website. It said you should maybe do a, a podcast vibe thing, and I went, well, I used to do a, a show on Planet Rock Radio uh, in the UK, mm-hmm. and it was called it was we did Fish and Friday, and I said, well, let's just call it Fish and Friday it a Friday, and it was originally it was only going to be one or two times. And, you know, I've been doing it apart from, a, I think I've missed about four weeks uh, since April 2020, I think. You actually
0: helped save them too, right? To the, fit the, the planet, rock. I, No, that
1: was. You were no, part of the was, team uh, that I helped
0: really, helped it. Well, I'll I say know, it. But, you were part of the group of artists that helped it. So bravo to you. You don't have to say it. I,
1: I, was, I, I was, I didn't put any money in. You know, but I, I put my voice behind it. I mean, it was, it was point. A great, is you were
0: part, I didn't say you to save the planet yeah. or save the whales. I said you were part of saving a good thing. You were a team mm-hmm. member. So, bravo. yeah,
1: I mean, you know, you know, like Planet Rock, and a lot of these stations have, have taken over from the stations that really helped us way back in the early 80s. I mean, you know, when we played, when we were out there doing tours in and, and 82, 83, 84, things. You know, you were always jumping in to meet DJs and in, in local mm-hmm. stations—Sheffield, or Bristol, or Cambridge—and then the, the, they just got shut down. And then the, the stations merged, and then there was only one show that came on. And then it was all computer-led. That yeah. was when
0: radios. Remember, you could you could actually take the B side of something and flip it over and not, not make flip, break the band on a on a, a B side instead of a single, where or yeah. a DJ could get away with it back then. Yeah, <laughs> but, this where,
1: but this is where this comes in now. I mean, this right. is where it's supposed to. You know, I mean, there is. There's, you know, it's not a case of like, oh, god on, oh, we really miss it. It's, it just evolves, and I think this is one of the things that I, I don't. I'm I don't, I'm not a complainer. I'm not sitting here going like, you know, if one only, only. Like it's here, deal with it. You know, and that's the way I look at it. I'm you know, I'm always looking for solutions to problems. You know, I mean, the tech I've, I struggle. I mean, a lot of the i mean you know my daughter's now 30 year old and you know when your daughter who used to rely on to guide you through shit says dad i don't know i don't understand it anymore <laughs> it's like you know you've got a problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great kids you know that is the one thing you know i don't feel like i'm old you, know, you walk by the mirror and you're like you see the mirror and you're like who's that old guy that's not me
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, right, it but the really... thing that makes you
0: feel older, your kids, you know. I got a kid coming 18 now. I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, I met up with Mitchell at a, a, a festival in Germany about a, oh, a couple of years back. Well, if you three years ago, there you go, another time. See? And it was, uh, and he said that, like, you know, nowadays, you know, when, he, when he's at the record company or he's asking questions, he keeps on expecting to hear the word granddad at the end, you know, like, you know, <laughs> can you tell me where the taxi rank it's just over there
0: granddad (laughs) (laughs) that's what happens you know or you get that civil war dude easy there civil war dude
1: i I, I forget i mean you know this is you know i mean i I don't think about my age and it's like you know i mean like god's sake i mean i remember lying in my bed when i was a kid and listening to like you know the 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 kids radio show the one on what was it The light radio, or whatever it was, or the beginner radio one, or whatever, dead stupid, playing the Beatles when I'm 64 and thinking, wow, that's something. Uh, It's
0: also you as an artist, your creative force. Will the music part be easy to kind of, are you kind of like easy to tuck that away now? Or, yeah, I can just writing, you
1: know, I think in the first six months after Welt Schmerz, there were. There would be something would happen, and I get an idea for a lyric, and I turn around and I'd see one of my wife, and I would say, "Like, oh wow, this that's, I make a great outline." And she's looking at me with those eyes, but I'm like you know, you know, and and I went, "I know, I know, you know." And it was like you know, but it stopped, and now it's um I, I look at different things. When I was, I remember when I was really young. You, when I was really young, when I was about what was that? um. I was still in forestry and I was in Galash Hills. My girlfriend, had a. I stayed with her in a flat in Galash Hills in the Scottish Borders for a while. And um, and there was an Iranian palm reader. Right? And everybody was saying how great he was and he'd come up with some amazing stuff and you've got to meet this guy. And I met this guy. And I was a bit dubious and all the rest of it. And he said, uh, you're going to have three careers in your life. And I said, and every one of them, it's going to be totally different from the one before right and you won't know they're happening really until they're happening and he said you're in your first one now and you're about to go into your second and he said it will happen will happen and you will basically get signs it, you know when, when, you, when you're going against it mm-hmm. things will go right and he said if you, if you just let it go it'll happen that was, I was in forestry and I moved into music. And if somebody had told me as a forestry worker when I was 19, 20 year old, that, you know, I mean, I, I, again, I was looking back at, uh, it, it, because I was reading uh, something recently. And it was um, in 1980, sorry, well, let me get this right. In 1980, 1980 I was a forestry worker, right? In nineteen eighty three, I was signed to EMI walking out in stadium stages and, and, and uh, walking out on open airs in Germany, right? And you know, and it and it felt right. I, I didn't
0: you know the things happened, we got lucky, things you we, weren't we, singing we... though, right? Pardon? When you were in Forestry, you you had just started, you weren't really singing. You started singing around like eighty, eighty one, right? Ah that's even like fuck you fuck were like it. a lifetime singer. I did my, my first gig in 1980,
1: which i when I was 22. So that makes did, it more amazing. I wasn't, like, I wasn't like Robert Plant singing blues when I was, you know, That's what I'm old. saying. It wasn't
0: even like you were like a new phase, like 883. You became a singer and became on stadiums. Like that's a huge growth. It's not just like a lifetime, you know, choir and then singing yeah. in bands. And I mean, you went from, you know, zero to know, 85, like Lamborghini speed in a music career. I was a career. fan.
1: I was a music listener. I bought Yes albums and Genesis albums and Floyd albums. And then, you know, I was, you know, I, I did my first gig and I think it was uh, March or something, March, April 1980. And i kind a covers band playing in a bar in Garage Hills. And then I joined Marillion in, in January 81 and we signed to EMI in
0: October 82. That was drive. Do you realize how amazing there. that is now? Like looking back, like, do you pinch yourself going, that is a crazy. You look at how mm. many musicians like sing for years and they never, and you're like, I mean, it worked. It was meant to be, but you know what I'm saying? It's still amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah. It was, but it was a lot of, there was a lot of luck involved in that. I mean, just picking up, just finding Marillion that were in the right stage where they were at for a singer to join and, and, and pick up the reins of that band, you know? And it was drive. It was just, you know, this was
0: what I wanted to do. It was and luck I'm, and there was yeah. talent. You mean, all you guys together. Yeah. We're the perfect store yeah. of musicians at the oh, perfect time. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Time. absolutely. I mean, speed up with Steve Rothery and stuff like that. And oh, then yeah. Finding, finding Mark Kelly when we did, and then finding mm-hmm. Joe Havis when we did.
0: But finding... your lyrics and the vocals with that guitar was something that was yeah. – and I'm not taking away from the other musicians by any means. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know what I'm saying? You two guys were the prog, Keith, and, you know, it was something that wasn't about going on and right now. It was a special force yeah, at that yeah. point.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in the same way as when I found Mickey Simmons – you know, for exactly. the visual album, is it? yeah. It's it's just it's, it's just collages and stars, you know. And you know, as I said, I mean, but it was drive. It was, you know, I had so much drive, you know, in me to 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 make that band happen, you know. And you know, I've been accused of being ruthless, and like, okay, I'll stand by it. You know, I'm be, but it's been, you know, but certain members, you know, like you know, being dispatched. But I knew it was for the good of the band, you know. And it was um. You know, and I, I think that drive kept me going and it kept me going through my solo career and, and, and stuff. And that's what I'm saying. It's like my autobiography has got a lot more to it than just, you know, being in Marillion. I mean, it's kind of how I went through. But I mean, you know, and it's it's interesting how, how things evolve and develop and, and you know, and reestablish themselves in some, some way as well. I mean, I was always a writer at school. Right, right, right. The one thing I was very good at was English and I didn't like it. You know, I was just accidentally very good at English, and the one thing I loved was creative writing. somebody said, you know, gave me a subject, and goes, write me five thousand words on on a word, like you know, a bucket or a or colander or a primrose or you know, an elephant, and I could sit and I could write an entire story about about anything, right? Come up, concoct anything, and I was really good at it. And that was when I kind of, I kind of fell into being a lyricist, but. That stems back to because I used to was an avid reader, and I used to read Edgar Rice Burroughs and and uh, you know a lot of the, those kind of you know I mean Tarzan was like ah, Sven Hassel and I mean oh, I, I used yeah. to read right I could read like crazy you know yeah but I was rubbish with, with, with numbers always terrible with numbers but but that was where I was I just love the 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 sanctuary awards you know. Mm-hmm.
0: You know? Well, it shows in the lyrics too that obviously you were an avid reader. What are you? What are you reading now? Who? Who are your hats? i will be reading Mark Kelly's autobiography. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what uh, a um um yeah, it was interesting reading Mark's. Account. It was it's, it's an interesting book, you know, and and, and it, it was interesting reading it because I I obviously knew what happened, right. And there was huge emissions and stuff. And there's little things that I thought he would have brought up that were really funny, you know, but it's, uh, but I mean, as I said, I mean, it's useful having them all write the books because it, it helps me because I've got some research points,
0: <laughs> some good <touch laughs> all, the, all, the,
1: all the equipment stuff. I don't know anything about the equipment or the tech shit. You know, like, you know, I can put a bar line out or, a, you know, but it's, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's what I want to do. And if, you know, in the future, I mean, you know, you know, if, in two years time or whatever, if I want to go out, I can go out and do a spoken word tour, take a couple of musicians out, sing for half an hour if I wanted to. Just yeah, you know, I could do what the hell I want, you know. Right. And I like that that kind of the, the the freedom I've got, you know, to some degree. I still have to, you know, you know, pay the heat and you know the the electricity and the gas, which in this country is going through the roof at this point. So I might, <laughs> might, have, to, might have to delay a farewell tour because of gas prices. I've braces. got, I mean, this year, I mean, I've got the, the last straw album, which is the live in Glasgow from 2018. That's going to be out in the next week or two. And I've got the 13 star uh, remix remaster that's going out in the summer sometime together with uh, the Blu-ray of the Vigil's End um, global broadcast that we did in December. And at the end of the year, I've got Vigil and the Wilderness of Mirrors that I've licensed back the rights to from Warners and Internal Exile Because, I mean, I own the licenses for all my albums. Which I is own, good. I own, I own the copyright of all my solo material apart from Vigil, which is being, was a, a huge bonus. Oh. At this point in my career, it's, I mean, um, having the ability to, to use those and in an, an independent free framework that we have here, it, it really works. So Vigil and Internal will be out end of this year or beginning the next. But I mean, everything's crazy at the moment. I mean, vinyl. I mean, I've got the, the 30 Star and the Feast of Consequences, which was my, the album previous to Velschmerz. Um, The vinyl of that, I've got triple vinyl box sets coming out. And they're taking nine months to manufacture. Nine months. Wow because, uh... because of, number one, the lack of vinyl granules, and number two, all the manufacturing plants weren't able to work during okay. the lockdowns. The staff shortages, and so it, every man and his dog. All these vinyl releases.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like that over here too. You can't touch vinyl. You're like out a year for a new release now.
1: Yeah. So, but you just work around it. Like I said, you know, it, it's a problem. You know, you know. In, in previous years, I might have been like, you know, gnashing of teeth. But I just go, okay, that's the way it is. We will find a way to work around it. Right. I mean, the things in my mind at the moment is basically. Uh, the funny farm kitchen garden and um, when I moved here in, uh, in what was it 1989 it was a, I bought basically a farmhouse with a bunch of outbuildings and the outbuildings one of them was converted into the studio where I'm now talking mm-hmm. to you and I used to own the house next door and there was a residential block where the uh, bands used to stay when they were using the funny farm recording studios right? so it was a funny was farm called a funny farm I like that <laughs> Recording studios,
0: right?
1: Nice, and I, that was given by John Treeble, this band of Valley drummer who was, who was yeah. coming with me on the first incarnation of the solo band. He was a drummer, he says, Man, it's like a funny for him here, right? <laughs> so that's, that's good. It was uh, and then about a year and a half ago, you know, I'd been posting all these gardening things up on my Facebook pages, on the fish pages, and my daughter Tara went mental and she said, Dad, you've got to stop putting this bloody garden stuff up on your Facebook pages. It's a music page, not a garden page, right. And I said, well, what we'll have to do it some other way. She said, well, we need to get another page. Yeah. And it was like, okay, well, what are we going to call this? And she said, well, let's call it the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden, Funny Farm Garden, Funny Farm, Farm Kitchen Garden. And I went, perfect. And this is the, the evolution. It started off as Funny Farm recording studios, and it's now become the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden. And we're trying to find a way to, we're looking now at um, basically creating a website and doing a uh, subscription thing where people subscribe and, and onto the funny farm kitchen garden and i do at least an hour of, of high quality footage every month i do basically what i do in fishing friday maybe twice a month but more c- concentrated around gardening and then we do instagrams my wife does recipes and that way we try and monetize the funny farm kitchen garden site and if we can get a few hundred people come and do it then it helps pay for the development of the garden, and it keeps us occupied. And I'm now and then I'm working as something different. I'm doing something else. You know,
0: that's a good idea. You could do, do. There are lots of platforms now out there to do it too. Whether it's a Patreon uh, or a different paid things, there's different levels of stuff.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's something that we love doing. And then uh, I'm accounting. I did say to you, like you know, the two big expenses we've got are football se- football season, soccer season tickets. And the garden and the garden, my even my count said to me, he says, you know, he said, like, look, there's only no <laughs> so much we can hide in the studio here. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of harping in sacks of fish blood and bone fertilizer down in the studio for you know artist creative growth. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, this there, I've got loads of things to do. I'm not worried about all, all that stuff. I mean and as I said, I mean music, I just felt that I just got to the end of it and I've done what I really set out to do. And now there's something else and there's something else is going to come into my life and I'm going to go, that's where I'm going. And, you know, as I said, I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be once I settle down and get into writing, it's just going to move, you know? Yeah. And, you know, but it's I'm just...
0: looking forward to it. That'd be awesome. And, and, and honestly, you're you're ending the recording on a high note. Cause like I said, this last album is beautiful. Mm. You know,
1: and as I said, I mean, I've got all my solo albums all remastered now, so, you know, I've got my legacy there and the songs will always be there, you know? And it's, um, you know, they're there and, you know, they're, uh, you know, the recordings are all up there. It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, okay. You know, like I said, I, I didn't want to become some parody or a parody of myself. I didn't want to become, you know, oh, you know, remember him, you know, like, there's some
0: artists that, that have continued on; that have done well, and some that yeah, have become parodies. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, don't get me wrong on this. I'm oh, speaking no, no. only about
0: myself. You know? uh, no, I respect. So it. I'm saying say it's a it's, so it's a fine line because you're right. There are some artists that have become it's it's sad, and then there's yeah. some artists that just continue to deliver. You know, if I had to put money on it, I would have put, I would the quality of work you I would put more money in you delivering than becoming a parody. You know, yeah, that was but, a I mean, man.
1: You look at Johnny Cash. I mean, look what he was doing at the end of his career was brilliant. Some of the, you know, he those last
0: it. couple albums he did when he got yeah. with oh my god, it was like some of his best stuff. Yeah, feel his soul in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like I said, it's, I, I I think I choose what's right, what I think is right for me, you know, and what I feel is right for me. And I've never, despite what has been said of me, I've never been driven by money, you know. And it's um, it's uh. Security, yes, but, you know, never money. You, know, never, you leaving
0: Marillion at the height is the biggest, um, you know, exclamation point that you're not about money. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: Yeah, that was a weird time. It was, I mean, I was, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I found my, I, when I was cleaning out this control room and there's loads of boxes of documents kicking around that have been like, you know, when I moved out of the old house and moved into here, they were all brought just stacked and some of them were like, Mm-hmm. Restacked and corners and things. And lo and behold, like I said, I found my resignation statement. You know, the one that I wrote on what was it the ninth uh uh was it the ninth of September or something like it was? And I was um uh and that was for eighty eight. And it was interesting to read it because I hadn't read it for over thirty years. And it's been a strange week because I found all this these old documents and at the same time, you know, Mark Kelly you know, he's still a friend of mine, right? Right, right. He sent me up his autobiography and you know, so I was reading that and you know there was some things that really irritated me in it, but like you know, like you know, it's Mark's take, you know what I mean? It's he's allowed his take, as I said, it's free speech. you know? It's, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I found myself you know going you know, looking back at that period and things, and then you know, and I in fact I was talking to someone and my wife just last night and saying there was, there was three there was three big things that happened back at that period. It was leaving Marillion, right? Right. There was fighting the, the Merillion case and fighting against the EMI, right? Well, and which and you can say four and, and you can say as far as building the studio, right? Building the studio at the time, I decided to do it because the EMI contract was such that um, I had to go in a studio. I had to get an advance of them and go in a studio. If they didn't like what I'd written or what I'd produced or whatever, then they could make me redo it again and I had to pay for it again. And I wasn't really happy with that. And it was kind of I didn't have any serious creative control. You know, the bottom line was right. And that's why I built the studio. Marillion, we used to spend fortunes on rehearsal space, on studio time. And a a huge part of our debt to EMI was that. And I I realized that I had to build something up here. And I, I realized that when I left the band that I wanted to find a place where I could rehearse that I could write, that I could, you know, eventually record, and I built the studio, and it cost a lot of bloody money. And it put me in a huge hole that eventually came back to rattle me at the end of 2000, right? Fighting uh, uh, Marillion, I didn't want the name, I didn't want paid for the brand name, I didn't want anything apart from the 15% that I felt I was due on my publishing because songs are split, 50% lyrics, 50% music, and I said, I just want my 50%, the lyrics from when I left the band and Mm -hmm. we fought for it It cost a lot of money but I got the 50% lyrics right yeah and I built the studio which was eventually took me down I fought EMI which basically got me out of that agreement and although it it was it torpedoed me for a while I'm sitting here now owning the licenses to all my solo albums apart from Vigil right the that upgrade to where I should have got the 50% lyric Kept me alive for a lot of period in, in the late 90s, early to that, that just that stream. Right? Having the studio, building the studio, this is now my home. It's the best place I've ever lived in. And building the studio enabled me to record all those solo albums all the way through when I was independent and I was really on the back foot, you know, and <laughs> put it all together. In the long run, everything worked out. And it's like, you know, back then, with all those things happening, I mean, I was in a, I was in a real mess. I mean, my head was in a blender, going through a lot of that stuff simultaneously. You know, but in the long run, this is where I am, and I'm really happy for it. So, you know, leaving Marillion as well. I think if it stayed in that band, I think we would have stagnated, and it would have exploded anyway.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. I think if you're not happy, and that's well, it's, even if you like say if you had performed now, the difference with you is you, you could always do quality work, but I think. The point with you is, stopping now, is you're emotive. You're a very emotive person. And if your heart's not into it, you could technically do it, and people that don't know you'd be like, oh, he sounds just as good. But that's not the point. It's where your heart is, and your heart has always driven your business. Yeah. And it's had you, because if you're not creating the next best album, why do it? Because you're not driven, like I said, by money. And I think talking back how you did the break from a million and fighting for what you believed in ties in with people thinking like I've got you're saying like you're not single you're single mindedness. You're not at a point where you're like, you know, dismissive of people. It could come across that way because sometimes the world is like that. You can't have everything. Somebody might want to be a football player or a soccer player in America, but you can't because you're not good at it. Sometimes you're just not good at the job needed for the rest of the team to move on. So that could seem dismissive, but the world's not gonna, you know, hug you all the mm-hmm. time. But the fact that you, if you weren't single-minded, you were not going to fight for these things when they were hard. You know, you, there would be yeah. no struggle, there would be no challenge. If you weren't that guy. You wouldn't be here now. Mm. Like know? I said,
1: I mean, you know, when I was, you know, when, and then 2000, when my first marriage fell apart and I lost my child for four years, and she eventually came back to live with me. And lives in Scotland as her, uh, her mother does. And, you know, if I hadn't fought my way out of that, I would have been dead. You, you know, I mean, the, the number of people that just said, look, just go bankrupt, just sit, get rid of everything, Kaylee, everything. I went, no. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's, I could, it's I huge. Could never, I could never have hand, handled listening to Kaylee on, on radio knowing that it belonged to somebody else, you know, or Lavender or Inky Mikado, whatever, right? And, you know, and it was the easy way out. It was like, oh, we'll just go bankrupt and, like, you know, just walk away and you'll lose up and start again. And I mean, no, I, you know, this is where I live. This is my house, you know, the, the studio. This is my studio. I have to have this to work. I, if I don't have this, I won't be able to work. And I fought for it, you know. You know, I've never, you know, knowingly hurt anybody or, you know, betrayed anybody in, in my career, right? I've never... You know, knowingly cheated anybody, and I've I've always been straight. And I was that was something I was taught by my father, and it was it was drilled into me by Keith Goodwin, who was our very first press officer before we signed UMI. And you know, he kept me on the straight and narrow. And you know, another guy, Andy Field, who was my production manager in Marillion, who left Marillion and stuck with me for you know until he died in 1991. And um, it was uh you know those people kept me on on track and they drilled into me that, you know, be straight, you know, be open, you know, well, my openness comes from, you know, I think, you know, I, I was born and, you know, I've always been straight with people, you know, and sometimes that upsets people. Some people get very unnerved by it, um, you know, but that's how I
0: am, you know, and that's what I want to continue to be. Oh, you know? well, look at the world we're in, the people that are, um, everyone wants a golden sticker for particip- for showing up. And Those are the ones yeah. who are probably feelings that hurt. Or if you're driven like you, and you're going to be honest, and those are the ones that have all these big companies. You know, I mean, they say they're maniacs, but they're not. They're focused. You, if you don't stay through and keep honest all the way through, you're not going to achieve. Mm. You know, yeah. you're going to waffle off, and you're going to want other things. The world's not fair. No, the world's not fair. So you better put your head down, and you better keep going. Yeah.
1: You know? like I said, I mean, you know, you know, my wife and I. I mean, you know, we stay here. We've got, like I said, we've got my 89-year-old mother here. And I mean, we've no, we've hardly been out at all. I mean, um, we were in a hotel last December and that was the first time we'd been in a hotel since nineteen since 2019, right? And the only ho- holiday we've had, right, uh, since 2017, when we had our honeymoon, we've not had a holiday since 2017 when we got married. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of not true choice, <laughs> but but yeah. But I mean, you know, but we have you know we we have a we have a lifestyle. We're happy with what we do. We don't you know, I I, I don't relate to a lot of the stuff. I mean, there's a wee kind of metaphor story, whatever you want to call it. It was like, you know, I, I was looking at the music business and like with London and and that that kind of thing. It's like it's always it was always uh, you're always lectured about you know you have to play the big hall of the castle, mm-hmm. right? And it's like you're nobody until you've played the Great Hall in the Castle. And, like, everybody's hanging about this old castle, waiting to get a gig on the main stage in the Great Hall, you know. And, you know, and you're you're involved with the Great Hall and you're told, well, this is where you've got to be, right? Because if you're not in the castle, you're outside and you're in the forest. And if you're in the forest, there's monsters, right? And you can't, you know, there's monsters out there and you won't survive and you can't do it, you can't do it, right? And then it's that like one day I woke up and I kind of re- realized that the castle I was playing in was like Gormenghast, you know, it was all, you know, falling apart and full of wretches and, and and vagabonds. And I took a step out of the castle, went down to the forest and found it was a really nice place. I found a wee village and they liked my music. And it's like, that's where I play now. Right. and yes there are monsters but that is a great man.
0: that is a great visual and for those that weren't paying yeah. attention that is the music industry right there for you folks
1: you have to be signed to a major you have to do this you have you have to have this and you don't need it you can live outside of the castle and be in a wee village and make make just you know call that cord industry whatever but you can do what you want to do as an artist you know i mean i am lucky i mean don't get me wrong i mean you know, I'm lucky. I've got a you know a very loyal, devoted fan base who I do not treat with any form of disrespect whatsoever. And the one thing I've learned, you've got to deliver, qual- deliver quality. You don't take advantage of that fan base. You know, as an independent running a mail order company, you know, you 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 don't take the piss right out of your fans. You know, so you don't use them as cash cows. You know, you always going to, and I've, I've always done that. And I think that's why I've kept my fan base, and I'm lucky. That I have got a really exceptionally loyal fan base that that continue to support my work in the way that I deliver it in the way that I do it, you know. And if it takes five six years between albums, rather than being that it's Christmas we need a CD out, you know, it's like so be it. And that's how I operated. I mean, you know, it was years between Vultures and Feast, and it was it was for another it was five years between. 13 star and, and 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 feast but you know the great albums. I'm proud of them. You know, great, super.
0: Well and the fans that know you appreciate it because of it and they wouldn't want you to put you out and and you are respectful. And that's why like I want to talk to you because like there's a tillion, there's of people out there that are just don't care and it's not you know it's what it you goes are back to,
1: it goes back to what I said before about um you know I didn't start singing till till two thousand until um nineteen eighty, right? <laughs> it's so um, amazing
0: every time I think of that. that you just went yeah, from but... there to there.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I remember round about that time standing outside, uh, standing outside a gig in, in Glasgow, right, waiting on Yes coming out, and standing there for about an hour in the pouring rain because I wanted to get an autograph, <laughs> and the band came right out, security, fought the fence, and they got in the limo and fucked off, right, and I remember, you know, I remember that stuff, and you know, I remember that when you know. I try to remember that when you know people are standing out backstage, you know you try and do what you can. You know? Yeah, yeah. You watch after yourself. So take care, man. Okay, bye bye.